On this podcast, our teen hosts discuss real life with real people. We hope to inspire others by sharing stories of individuals and pairs of friends who have dealt with mental health challenges or just the ups and downs of life and discussing what brought them healing and inner peace. In these episodes, we also talk about the role that friendship and connection plays in a person's emotional well-being. Subscribe to this podcast to be a part of our Friends on Air family. Friends on Air! Hi everyone, my name is Ursula Brown. I am a senior in high school and I will be today's host. Um, We are on episode four of season two of Friends on Air. So welcome. Thanks, Ursula. My name's Allie. I'm the wellness coordinator here at the Friendship Circle. I have a background in psychology and clinical mental health counseling. So I may be occasionally weighing in from that perspective. Overall, I'm just here to listen and learn. We have so many exciting hosts, uh, so many great teen hosts and guest speakers that we're learning from. I just, I'm so grateful to be here. Awesome. Thank you, Allie. Welcome, Allie. Thank you. Um, I'm Ayala. I'm the Teen Member Engagement and Partnerships Coordinator at Friendship Circle, which basically means I get to hang around, have a good time, work on these wellness projects with our incredible teen committee, and I'm excited to be part of this conversation. Thank you. Um, In today's episode, we have the honor of speaking with Erica Strausberger. Um, She is a councilwoman on the Pittsburgh City Council, and she serves the city's 8th district. Um, And she's also the first woman elected to the seat. So woo, yay, snaps. Um, we are super honored to have her. Hey, Erica. Hi, it's great to be here. Yeah. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, of course. You want to introduce yourself? Sure. So I, I'm Erica Strasberger. I sit on Pittsburgh City Council, and um, I represent the Eighth District, as you said. So that encompasses Shady Side, uh, parts of Squirrel Hill, Squirrel Hill North, and parts of Oakland as well. Hmm. Are you originally from the city? I'm not from the city. Yeah. I moved here in 2009. From um, originally from California, lived in New Hampshire, lived in Central Pennsylvania, but um, intend to be in Pittsburgh for cool the remainder of my time. So cool. um, I love being here. It's a good city. Yeah, it's very it's like, a great party. city. Yeah, yeah. I, I love Pittsburgh, and I'm not from here either. So <laughs> <laughs> we're foreigners. Um, in one sentence, what are you here to talk about? Well, I hope to talk a little bit about how um, you know not only serving in a public capacity intersects with um, mental health, but also how the policies that we can pass as a, as a legislator, as a mm-hmm. policymaker, can also be inclusive of that kind of conversation. Um, because I don't think it's something kind of as a, on a personal level that folks in my position talk a lot about very openly, but I'm really excited to have that conversation because mm-hmm. I think it's one that we're all having a little bit more, um, uh, I mean, there's a little bit more awareness, a little bit more openness around it. Mm-hmm. Maybe that was supposed to be a one word answer. That was not one word, that was, <laughs> no, but that was, I will. That was, that was a great answer. Answer. Interesting, yeah. <laughs> um, cool. And then before we just like dive in, we just we um, usually do like a quick speed question uh-huh. with our guests. So our question today is going to be, what's your favorite thing about Pittsburgh? Mm-hmm. You know, some people might call this a detriment and for sure it, it makes it challenging in some ways, but our hills. Because Ooh, I really? love, I love how it, hills is the one in one one word answer. But I love how interesting it makes the city. There are hills yeah. and valleys. It's it means neighborhoods have character, mm-hmm. and it means there are all these secret steps. So when you're new to Pittsburgh, and I'm a runner, I like to run, mm-hmm. I like to walk. So as you're exploring Pittsburgh, 
you might like go into Shenley Park and then go up a staircase and then poof, you're in front of Phipps Conservatory. Yeah. Like, how did I get here? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's my favorite part about it. That's really cool. That is such a good it. point. Yeah, it does really give like a lot of characters, not like a flat city. Mm-hmm. Not I, a flat I city. don't think anybody, I mean, I just never would have imagined that to be the answer, but that's like a really cool perspective. <laughs> <It is hilarious. laughs> now I'm going to be walking up my hill like, this is amazing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, gra- gratitude for the hills. Yeah. <laughs> All right, so we told- well, Wait, do you want to answer the question? Oh, I do around. Yeah, yeah, we can all answer it. All right, cool. What is my favorite thing about Pittsburgh? Wait, let me go last. Yeah. Okay, fine. Okay. <laughs> do you want to go next? Um, sure. I, so I was kind of inspired by what you were saying. Um, I also like to run, but having run my first marathon in Pittsburgh, um, one of the coolest things about like the culture, the city of Pittsburgh, first of all, is that they will tailgate for anything, right? But um, it was it was so neat to feel so supported by the city and that energy. Um, I don't I don't know if I've ever felt it like in another city. So we we have the potential to be very supportive as like Pittsburgh community members. Mm-hmm. That's yeah. a good answer. Mine is kind of similar to that. Um, I was thinking recently about how much I love Mister Rogers, and I feel like so I feel like. One of my favorite things about Pittsburgh is that we're associated with Mr. Rogers because I just feel like he represents a lot of what the Pittsburgh community is, which is kind and I would hope accepting and at least all of the uh, values and principles that we have here at Friendship Circle, I feel like he really represents. So he makes me a proud Pittsburgher, like to be associated with those values and those concepts. Yeah, Yeah, that is cool. I really like the people in Pittsburgh. Yeah. Um, Because I feel like if you go to another big city, not, well, Pittsburgh's not a big city. If you go to another city, people tend to be like in your face or I don't know. There's just something about Pittsburgh people that it's like very like worker vibe. Like people here work hard Mm. and they like benefit from it. It's just, and I love the food here too. I like the, Mm -hmm. a lot of variety, especially in Squirrel Hill. So I really like that. Yeah. Good answers, everyone. <laughs> yeah. Um, all right. So back to it. Um, so Erica, we just wanted to know a little bit like how did you get here? How did you become why did you go into politics? What's your background? What's your story? Yeah. yeah. Well, first I'll say I I think a lot of especially female politicians say this. I never thought I'd get into politics, right? <laughs> I'm sort of mission driven. So I first um I would say got interested in the issue area that I started advocating for, which was environmental, you know, environmental um, justice and sustainability when I was in college Mm -hmm. and I was majoring in that. And I took a course called hazardous waste in society. Now I was fortunate not to have, have grown up in an environmental justice community, like a lot of Americans, but that's kind of my first exposure to the fact that people were living in these areas that were, where children were getting leukemia, people were getting sick and there was someone to blame. There was a company to blame and they weren't, justice wasn't being served. And it really made me angry. And I knew this was happening in places all across the country. So I went into that advocacy and did that work for about 10 years, working with um, a nationwide group called Environment America, the local chapter here in Pittsburgh is in Pennsylvania is called Penn Environment and loved the work. And after nine years of that, I was ready for a change. And I was sort of looking around thinking, what could I do to apply what I know, the skills that I have, and kind of make it Pittsburgh focused? So after some soul searching, I ended up um, fortunately in a job in local government working for councilman, then councilman Dan Gilman. 
and I became his chief of staff. Um, that was an awesome job. I did that for four years and I learned everything that there is to know about city government, how it works, how to run an office, all the things I was able to apply what I knew as an organizer to this role. And, um, you know, I really, I really caught the bug, I would say backing up a little bit when I lived in New Hampshire. And then I also, you know, when I moved to Pittsburgh, I was working in politics, adjacent to politics, helping to elect pro-environment elected officials. Mm -hmm. um, and so I did catch the bug a little bit there being in New Hampshire. Every potential presidential candidate comes through New Hampshire for like two years leading up to the presidential election. So I was there in 2004 and 2008. And so you meet, you know, regardless of political party, every single um, presidential candidate. And that was that was pretty cool. And I, I kind of caught the bug there a little bit, but didn't realize it. So fast forward again to to Pittsburgh. Um, Pittsburgh City Council, um, when my um, boss, the councilman, decided to take another job in the mayor's office, that council seat opened up and he had just won re-election. So I decided to throw my hat in the ring. I thought, I will kick myself later if I don't take this opportunity. I mean, who knows the district better than I do? I know the people, I know the issues they care about, I know the projects we're working on and who could get up to speed that quickly. So I, I threw my hat in the ring. I ran in a special election. It was a sprint, like a three month sprint. And um, I had three very, you know, very good opponents. They were also people who were smart. They cared about the community. They had really great credentials, um, but I ended up winning. And so it's kind of been a whirlwind ever since that first few months and then, um, you know, of the campaign. And then that first year were a total whirlwind, um, but, you know, I, I don't even look back because it's been it's been it's been such an honor to serve Pittsburgh and to serve um, District 8 and to be in this role through some pretty tough times mm -hmm. for the city and for the neighborhood. But also um, seeing, as you all said in your inter introduction, how truly amazing the people of Pittsburgh are, you know, how supportive they can be and how um, they come together in times of need. Do you still find yourself advocating for like the same environmental kind of issues that you did before you went into politics? You know, I tried to. So um, one thing about the city of Pittsburgh is that we don't have the same kind of control over the number of issues that you would hope. So, you know, even when it comes to something like air quality and public health, mm -hmm. well, that's really controlled at, the, at this county level. Mm -hmm. um, or when you're talking about, um, you know, water quality, well, um, a lot of that has to do with... Um, not the city, but the Pittsburgh Water and Sewer Authority. Fortunately, I do sit on the board of the Pittsburgh Water and Sewer Authority, so I can I can play a role there. But I ended up finding my way to influence those types of issues. I, you know, passed a bill to overhaul the waste code um, to make it easier to recycle. And last year, I passed our city's first ban on single-use plastic bags that'll go into effect this April. Oh, wow. So yeah, so I try I do what I can to try to bring us forward in that way. And where I can't necessarily pass a policy, I try to use the bully pulpit to bring awareness to an issue or, you know, um, do everything we can to say, okay, we, not, may, we might not be able to be the ones to pass like really strong um, climate bills, mm -hmm. say, but we can do what we can to make it, to, to chip away at it, to make it easier to walk and ride your bike than to drive. We can mm -hmm. make sure that all of the city buildings have standards for no, for net zero energy, right? We can do what we mm -hmm. can control mm -hmm. and coordinate with other levels of government to make sure that they're doing the same thing. 
Do you see yourself working towards being involved in higher government? You know, that's always a tough question. If the opportunity presents itself, I'm not opposed to it. And if an opportunity outside of government that seems like the ideal fit for me presents itself, I will also be interested in that. I don't see this as a long-term career, like locked into this mm-hmm. long-term career of, poli- of being a politician mm-hmm. um, and a, an elected official. I feel like I could do, you know, really well. nonprofit work, for-profit work, like whatever kind of fits if yeah. an opportunity presents itself. Yeah, very cool. Very cool. Very cool. All right, so what is your favorite thing about your job? So I really realized this during the lockdown portion of COVID where I didn't get to be with people, but like whether it's this kind of interaction, like being in a small group and talking Mm. or a panel discussion or going into a classroom and, you know, teaching a course for a day or, um, you know, even just like walking up and down the business district and popping into businesses and saying hello, the the people, Mm. like being interacting with people, like person to person, Phone is fine, but in person is so much better. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. So that is my favorite part um, for sure. And it can be a small group of people. It could be a large group of people, but I just get a lot of energy from being with people. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I imagine it must have been quite interesting then being such a people person stepping in during the pandemic. That, yeah. must have been, that might be some of the challenge, right? Yeah. And don't get me wrong. I'm right on the border between introvert and extrovert. <laughs> like I, too <laughs> much activity. Oh, December. Ooh, December is a lot yeah. of people, right? All the time, every <laughs> evening. But so I do need to recharge. But, um, but yeah, I think what I found during that time is there was not as much to fill my cup, right? Like you are experiencing the fear and the anger and whatever is coming through in people's lives directed at you through email and email is not the ideal way to communicate with people, but that's kind of what we had. So you're getting all of that and like not the thing that fills your cup. So I really felt that. And that was a good, I think just learning moment for me during COVID. Cool. Yeah. Do you feel like still can like, let me phrase this correctly. Do you feel connected with this community, even though that you joined at a time where there wasn't that like person-to-person, face-to-face contact? Do you still feel like as a part of the community? Absolutely. Yeah. I was fortunate that I moved here. So I moved here in 2009, mm-hmm. and um, it took a little while, but as soon as I became chief of staff to my to Dan, you know, then Councilman Dan Gilman. I really became integrated into the community, like civic life. Mm-hmm. I joined the Squirrel Hill Urban Coalition Board. I joined the Uncover Squirrel Hill Board. Uncover Squirrel Hills, the business district um, organization. I uh, joined a couple of other boards and got really involved, and just became as active as I possibly could be. And through my job, I also, you know, attended the Shady Side Action Coalition meetings, the Bomb, a Bomb Center Initiative Organization meetings, the, you know, Oakland Planning Development Corporation meetings, like you name it, I was attending community meetings and really in touch with what was happening with um, the, the district that we represented. So I had that foundation before COVID hit to be yeah. able to kind of integrate cool. um, and understand what was going on. Yeah. Do people reach out to you with like, concerns that they have like how often do you find that kind of interaction or is it more less of that so i would say that's the meat and potatoes of what we do as a council office i have three staff and i would say that probably conservatively like 60 percent of our time is spent helping the public in some way or another Mm -hmm. 
generally it comes through phone calls, uh, emails or phone calls. And, um, you know, people who know us know that we're a go-to resource. Mm -hmm. And so they'll email us and regardless of what it is, it could be something that has to do with, you know, the buses, which is actually a county function. They'll come to us saying, I don't know who to go to and we'll help to connect them to the right people. Interesting. It could be, you know, it's anything and everything. It's, it's, I want, the people are driving too fast on my road. I want traffic calming. Okay, we'll help them with that. Uh, there's a pothole that needs to be filled. Got it. We'll report it to 311. Um, it is, I think you should pass a policy to make recycling even better than it already is, right? Okay, check. We'll like, we'll, we'll add that to our list of things to consider. Mm. Um, you know, any possible issue that people might have, even if it's with like the gas company, the water utility, they will come to us mm. and ask for assistance and so it's our part of our job to help them with that i get probably about 100 emails a day now those are not all requests maybe a quarter of them are requests and um, asks or something but there's a lot to manage it's just like it's like the mail it's always it's always coming in yeah Yeah. that's cool because i mean like we don't really learn about local politics in Mm -hmm. school we learn more about like the national and like maybe even state level yeah it's really cool to like understand how local politics actually work and you know what i always say if you want to make the most impact on your daily life, get involved in local politics. Yeah. Find out what local politicians are doing and how they're, you know, and unfortunately our news doesn't always cover it. I think mm-hmm. our local news does the best they can, but um, <clears throat> that is what is affecting your day, your daily life more than anything that Congress is doing. Right. From the choices around like what buildings are built to how your streets are designed to where your taxpayer money is going to, you know, um, how much you have to pay for, you know, the the property taxes on your house. It, 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 it's all local. So there's so much that happens at the local level that's really, really critical. Yeah. So this kind of leads into like another segue, but someone like me is passionate about something and wants to advocate, where do I start at the local level? How do I begin? Um, and how do I can like continue momentum for what I'm passionate about? Yeah. So I would say a couple of things. One is, um, yeah, decide on like the one or two things that you're really interested in. I think mm-hmm. one pitfall is that, and I'm guilty of it too. I mean, I yes, I was I was an environmental advocate for a long time, but I um, sort of then became a local official and wanted to work on anything and everything. And it's like, <laughs> wait, no, Erica, you got to focus. If you're going to be effective, you got to focus. And I would say the same is true for any interest. So um, let's just say it's, you know, um, it's education and it is, um, uh, you know, building connection between communities, right? Mm-hmm. So I, I would say, yes, there's the opportunity. If you see there's something missing, if you look around, you see that there's maybe an organization that you have in mind and it doesn't already exist in Pittsburgh, then yeah, like think about raising some money. Um, in any way you can, whether it's through crowdsourcing or whether it's through like the awesome foundation in Pittsburgh or some other foundation, because there's a lot of philanthropy here, <laughs> raise the money and, and start an organization. But more likely, because we have such a rich, rich philanthropic community, the organization probably already exists. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. I would say go find it. There are ways that you can plug in to volunteer. Um, I mean, the, our local libraries are an awesome source. Our librarians are just like magicians they can find anything for you and there's also a group called um there's a group that allows you to find volunteer opportunities and um the name is escaping me right now but i will think of it it's um 
I know. Is it Pittsburgh Cares? Pittsburgh Cares. I was thinking Pittsburgh Gives, but Pittsburgh Cares is it. So that's that can connect you to different volunteer opportunities. And that allows you to sort of dabble, right? Like you can, before jumping full, both feet in into an organization that you might be interested in, you could sort of volunteer here. Oh, I kind of like these people. This is exactly what I want. And then, you know, that sometimes action, whether it's litter pickups or you know, um, mentoring can lead you to more of that and then advocacy for the thing you see that there's a need for. Mm -hmm. I can't tell you how many people who have gotten involved in the work that I've done around, you know, our waste system and recycling and minimizing our footprint started as people who were just picking up trash in Shadyside through the Shadyside Mm -hmm. Street Stewards. Now they're like, I see so much plastic. What are we going to do about the plastic? And they are the ones who then email me yeah. and are really active in that space. Cool. So I'd say like, follow your passion, take the action. And then it kind of leads to advocacy. Um, and you know what? It's if, if it starts to not be fun anymore, sometimes you have to persevere because <laughs> a lot of advocacy is not going to be the glamorous, like standing in front of groups, a group of thousands of people at, with a mag- megaphone and yeah, right. speech. So much of it is the really monotonous, work of writing lots of emails, mm-hmm. submitting a grant proposal, mm-hmm. making phone call after phone call. Like a lot of it is monotonous. It's not always fun. But if you're really not feeling it anymore, then that's okay. Like find the thing that does make you, that lights the fire underneath you. Um, mm-hmm. Especially as a young person, I think it's important to explore that. Yeah. yeah. Do you ever like experience backlash <clears throat> from like anything you pursue? Like people, well, there's always haters out there, but like, is it ever a, like too much to bear? Like how much of that do you experience compared to people who are genuinely just throwing out advice? Yeah. Most people are lovely. Yeah. They want help. And when you help them, they're really grateful. And I would say that's the majority of people. There's some people who, um, you know, you just, you're never going to please them. And that's, you just try to be as kind uh, as yeah. you can and helpful as possible. Um, there are the people who are, we see, you know, maybe I see it less today than I did in um you know when it was first starting but just there's just a lot of vitriol online especially in social media and you do something and it attracts the attention of maybe a more national profile group and then you're getting attacked online Mm -hmm. and that was something i had to contend with pretty early on i um my former colleague uh, on council corey o'connor and i um we we felt that um after the attack at at the tree of life synagogue that a lot of our um constituents were, were calling very strongly, very strongly for some sort of um, gun sense solutions. And although we knew it was probably going to be challenged in court, and it, it is, and it still is in court, um, we did what we could to pass ordinances to mm. ratchet down firearms, especially um, semi-automatic and, you know, really, you know, military-grade weapons. And that was one example that it really attracted attention from national groups. And we got a lot, a lot of people from outside of, mostly outside of the city of Pittsburgh, who were angry at us, who would, you know, um, would bully us online and would come to testify in pretty, pretty um, intimidating ways. And, you know, I think what helped me in that moment was knowing that the people that I represented were behind me, that I had like an army of hundreds, if not thousands mm. of people behind me who were with me and who were the people I was actually representing. Um, and so, I was so. also willing to listen to people who, it, not the bullies, but the people who had really good points and wanted me to hear it, um, who might not share my viewpoint. Like, 
I would have phone conversations with them and I'd hear them out and they think felt grateful that I was at least willing to entertain a different point of view. Um, and so I felt that was a lesson that I learned. Like if I could be proud of the, what I had within my control, which is my own behavior, then I didn't have to worry about anything else because yeah. that's outside of my control. So that's the one lesson I kind of took from that. That's I really was just cool. going to say on the social media point, social media is something that we discuss a lot with mental health in general. Mm -hmm. And it's just interesting that you're saying that because it just seems to be, I'm just, I guess, confirming the common theme that we see, especially when it comes to hateful messaging. It's so easy for people to have this um, online front where they don't have to say their name, they don't have to show who they are, and they can just spew whatever they want onto whoever they want. And it really does add an element of, I don't know if this if it did for you, but it kind of sounds like to some degree it did stress and hurt or I don't I don't want to say it like specifically causes mental health issues, but I think that it impacts one's yeah. mental health. Would you say that that was an experience for you? Yes. And not as much on that issue because again, I didn't feel like it was like the people I was yeah. here to represent. Mm -hmm. Where it really got to me was around um, 2020, you know, we're in the midst of lockdown. Mm -hmm. Black Lives Matter was a really big part of that year. And I was, um, you know, doing um, the work that I always do, just doing my best to represent as many people as possible in the best possible way. And there were calls from people who I thought were sort of, you know, potential supporters or in my corner and when I started feeling um, attacked or the disappointment from them, that's that was really hard. Yeah. And that was often online too. Um, mm -hmm. We're all, you know, we're all always just doing the best we can. And so we're all learning together. We're all trying to kind of change, um, you know, and be, be as open-minded and as, um, you know, as, as conscientious about kind of intersectionality as, as possible at all times. And so I, I think that was when I realized um, that, you know, this sort of over communication that happens online that some elected officials choose to use online social media or, you know, social media channels as their main mode of communication. It is a way to get a, to a large audience and it's exhausting mentally yeah. and physically and emotionally. Yeah. And so that's when I really threw the barriers up and I thought, or the, at least the boundaries I set, I think what, what were healthy boundaries that, I don't need to be on Twitter 16 hours a day. It's it's not the most effective use of my time and it's a boundary that I needed to set for myself. So yeah. I think that was a great uh, lesson that I learned during that time, which is, you know, I can engage in social media. I can check it a few times a day. I can also have a person on my staff who's engaging yeah. for me and, you know, not spend all of my time there because it's not where the most productive use of yeah. um, uh, my time can be in the conversation that I want to have. Mm -hmm. I appreciate that honesty. I think it's something that a lot of us can relate to probably, mm -hmm. but I would imagine that being in the position of having some form of stronger voice in the community, it would be more difficult than for the rest. I mean, to an extent, like if I feel like you probably attract more um, views or quote attention mm -hmm. on social media, which I would assume comes with a heavier amount of yeah. negativity. <laughs> it can. Yeah. 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 Yes. And yeah, yeah, exactly. Social media is like, 
it's very interesting because it can be used in a bunch of positive ways. Yeah. Like when you post, yeah. you're getting the community involved in politics and that's like not something that many people have connections with. Mm-hmm. Um, so it makes it really easy to engage, but then because it's easier to engage, you receive everyone's opinion. And of course, like no one has the same opinions. Mm-hmm. So it's just like, right. you're going to be constantly receiving all these things. And I mean, if you're a, uh, in politics, I mean, like to yeah. me, I would never go into politics because if I'm hearing you know, it's, you're, sorry. You're like set up for people yeah, yeah, to be against you. And yeah, all like you're, <laughs> you're trying to represent people. And then it's just like, they keep switching back and forth on all these different topics. And it's just like, you have to sort through that. And I just think mm. that would be exhausting. Yeah. <laughs> um, I think but, it's important that you know, because um, we're talking about purpose can be different than career. And you could have exactly yeah. the same purposes, purpose. but maybe that career path isn't appropriate for you based yeah. on like what you you need at that time, right? Yeah, yeah. but so. it, I have so much respect for you because, especially Same. as the first woman in this position, I feel like that might even augment add it even layer. more. Yeah, yeah, I'll add another mm-hmm. layer to it. And so. it's so funny with the per- perception versus reality. Like my mother is someone who said, oh, you don't want to go into politics. I think <laughs> looking back at my senior year high school book, um, your book, um, like what you think your career is going to be, I think I said like, political communications consultant. Like I knew Uh, then that I even had like a little bit of a bug for this. And my mom really discouraged me from getting into politics. Like she thought it was just, you know, like too harsh for my sort of positive, delicate personality or whatever (laughs) it was. I don't know what it was, but she thought it would crush me. And, you know, I still found my way to it anyway. What's funny about it though is my mom was the person who was involved in everything, right? Mm -hmm. She was like president of the PTA at my elementary school and then um, really involved in our swim swim team and became president of this like this volunteering group that mother's daughter uh, mother daughter volunteering group we did and then she you know got involved in like a women for peace group and a cookbook that raised money for like tens of thousands of dollars for our educational system and mm-hmm. you name it she was involved in it she even became, she was um, appointed onto the sustainability committee for our, our hometown, for the city that we grew up in, that I grew up in. And so she's literally doing the same work that I do. <laughs> yeah. Well, and as a volunteer, and that, and yet she's like, oh, don't get into politics. I'm like, mom, I'm doing what you have done your whole life, my whole life. So yeah. it's just funny. Like, it's, yeah. it's you know, it, there's a perception and there's a reality. And yes, you know, even at the local level, you get involved in sort of the, um, the political part of it, but so much of it, the majority of it is just being with neighbors and being a good neighbor to mm-hmm. other people. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. So never say never. Never say never. <laughs> so, yeah. So you face pressure. Um, so what helps you get through the situations where you're receiving like backlash and then you're just like having all these opinions fly at you? Like what, what do you do? Or yeah. even just like, I would imagine it's like stress, a little bit stressful to be in your position where you're representing a community and you want to do it right. And I don't know, I don't want to speak for you, but like if I was in your position, I yeah. feel like it would come with stress. Yeah. So that like on top of what Ursula is saying. Yeah, you want, and especially like I care, right? If you care, this job exactly. can be really demoralizing sometimes. Um, and I think a lot of elected officials, strangely, are people pleasers. I don't know why you choose this profession, but that's what how it works, right? You want you want to please as many people as possible, yeah. and you can never please everyone all the time. Yeah. So I would say that you know on a micro level, like let's just say I get a very upsetting email because I am a people pleaser and I feel like someone is upset with a decision I made, or not even me, but like the city writ large. 
what I do is I just don't respond right away. Mm-hmm. <laughs> or maybe I remove the person from my address bar and I just type my response in the moment and then I let it sit for 12 hours because oftentimes when my heart's beating and I'm getting that, sh- the, you know, the, sh- the feeling of shame yeah. building up in me, I can feel it. And I know that that is not the time to respond, but I've at least taken action. Like, right. Like I've written it out and I let it sit and I sleep on it and then come back more rational, a little bit calmer (laughs) and I can be, you know, what happens inevitably I can feel empathy, empathy for the person. I can say, okay, this person is either really about upset about something else in their life and they're taking it out on me or they're very upset legitimately at this and they just need a punching bag. I happen to be it. I can't take it personally, right? Like I can find that empathy and then that makes my my response that much more professional and calmer and less defensive and usually more helpful. Mm. And sometimes when I am able to respond in a way that is, or I can have a phone call with them, which is even better. Um, And if I can respond in a way that they pick up on that, that opens the door to sometimes an apology, but sometimes just a better dialogue. Mm. So I try to do, like I have those types of boundaries and coping skills that I use as much as possible. That's really important. Yeah, yeah. And it's it's something I've just kind of learned about myself that I, I need to do. Um, highly recommend the like not responding right away if you can, um, <laughs> even though you want to. Yeah, that's such a good practice. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then when it comes to like the, the ma- macro level, I mean, I um, I think a lot of people say this, um, but I stay grounded by just surrounding myself with people who are wonderful, right? Yeah. I think that's a big part of it. Um, so I have um, a group of women who I'm good friends with. Some of them are somewhat newer friends, but I mentioned I'm a runner, and many of us, um, right as the lockdown was hitting, there was just this sort of group of, of five of us who would – you know, our only social interaction of the day would be getting up super early in the morning, meeting at Rite Aid at the corner of Forbes <laughs> and Murray, um, and going for a run together. And you knew that any given morning there would be someone out there. So if you couldn't go on Thursday, but you could go on Friday, great. Like you could meet and talk about anything and everything. They were the people I could just, if I was having a tough time, I could just get it out mm-hmm. and they would support me and then encourage me. And we have a text chain. And so even if there's just something that happens during the day, I can just say, Hey, I just need to get this out of my head and I can tell them and they're all supportive and they're amazing. And so we still, you know, there are more people who have kind of have started running with us in the yeah. morning, but um, it's an amazing resource to have that kind of group who's just supportive and, um, doesn't question you, doesn't, you know, push back too much. They just, they're there to support. So that's something that really helps between that, my family, other people, you know, it's, it's great to have that. I love that you're saying that, that that's part of your answer since that's our entire mission. And what we try to, I don't know if prove is the right right word, but what we try to stand for and, and um, offer community members is this opportunity to connect with each other, knowing that it really can have, this is kind of a new lens that we've taken, but that friendships and connections have a huge impact on the way that your mental health is doing. Oh my gosh. Yeah, yeah. like the way that you're able to process things, um, the people that you're able to turn to for support. Um, yeah. It's a huge, huge part of emotional well-being is having those connections. Yeah. We didn't even have to prime that for you. You said it on your own. (laughs) And more and more, um, and you're probably following all of this, but like I'm seeing it actually covered in 
the media a little bit more. Like the New York Times just had a whole sort of seven day quiz or seven day challenge how to make your life more fulfilled through friendships and connections. And they talk about even the connection with the barista at the coffee shop, you know, those loose ties or whatever mm-hmm. they're called are as important as mm-hmm. your um, really, really good friends and the people that maybe are far flung and all across the country. Like, can you set up the time for an eight minute phone call? All the stuff they're acknowledging is so important to our health and overall wellness throughout life. And now we have a Surgeon General, Dr. Vivek Murthy, who between his time as Surgeon General the first time and now this time, wrote a book on loneliness Mm. and discusses how big a contributor to poor health, especially in older adults, loneliness is. It's almost as bad as smoking. Oh, wow. It's so harmful to your health. And so if we can figure out ways to build connection, you know, it's so important what Friendship Circle is doing to build connection among different populations. And I think equally important is the intergenerational connection, right? Mm-hmm. To make sure that young folks and older folks are, are, are with each other and are seeing, um, just just absorbing what they can from one another. It's really great. So yeah. Yeah. I, I love that this is becoming a little bit more of a topic. Yeah, I love that answer. And we're, we're social beings. We're social, yeah. humans are very social. Yes. And, um, but yeah, the pandemic really severed a lot of people off from their um, support systems. Um, and we still have the online connection, but yeah, I think a lot of people, mental health really took a huge part of people's lives during um, the pandemic because we were losing that ability. And it's interesting mm-hmm. that that kind of emotional damage actually causes the physical damage, yeah. um, mm-hmm. which is really important to recognize. And I'll yeah, have to read that book because it's on, yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, also, and you're right, it's, it's I think this topic is becoming much more discussed and I love that um, researchers are putting effort into proving these things because then they allow for places like Friendship Circle to become more popular. Mm-hmm. Uh, not, I'm not saying that we are becoming more popular, but I'm saying the concept of having community spaces where people have the opportunity to connect with one another is becoming more recognizably important and needed. Mm-hmm. Um, the Washington Post also just, Rifki Rudolph was telling me, did a whole report on friendships and mental health. Wow. So, yeah. It's, it's really interesting because, cool. like, I've um, – America is, like, kind of built on the idea of, like, individual individuality, mm-hmm. and, like, being an individual and, like, right. being different and being that, like, having mm-hmm. that aspect of you that stands out and unique. And the, the yeah. truth is, like, we're not. We're not unique. I mean, we are in our <laughs> own ways. Yeah. But we're very much alike each other. And that whole idea mm-hmm. of individuality really, I think, harms – Mm-hmm. America as a community, and I think it's the reason for a lot of stuff that goes on. But I won't go like down that division. Road. I hear what you're saying. Yeah, it's yeah. division. I feel so. like that's a topic for like a whole other episode. Uh, yeah, a whole other topic. But yeah, I think that recognizing like that we are social beings and uh, community is it's a huge step towards a better America. In a sense. Yeah. yeah, and, and able so to support each other. Yeah. Sorry. Well, and just so many Americans have traditionally like moved around and been more transy yeah. people like me, right? People like you, like, yeah, they don't always, always over the place. The four of us, right? Not from Pittsburgh. And <laughs> so like we move around a lot. We're transient. Yeah. We don't like stay with our family uh, ties for gen- generations and generations. You might not have that village that some other places do, mm-hmm. but I talk a lot with my friends about, um, you know, chosen family or found family, which mm-hmm. is, can be as beneficial as the family that you grew up with. So yeah. Yeah. There's, there's an aspect, I learned about this in psychology, 
and I might like botch this, but it's like as you get older, the things that affect you change. So when you're first, when you're a child, it's like your family is what influences you the most. And then as you get older, you go to school and like your friends start influencing you. And so it's like really the people who surround yourself with are what you are made of Mm -hmm. because of that. And so it's like really important to choose people in your little bubble or in the community that are supportive and are, yeah, yeah, that do really help you. Absolutely. That's exactly right. Um, So I was wondering, what is the least favorite part of your job? Yeah. Say that the hardest part is um, kind of what we touched on before, but just that there are some decisions that I have to make that are where there's no middle ground, there's no consensus. It's either one thing or another. Mm -hmm. And no matter what decision you make, you're going to make someone upset. Mm -hmm. And that is so difficult. And in some cases, it's like 50-50. I see this most with things that touch people's lives the most. Um, You know, supporting or opposing a new proposed development that might be like more than five stories high. Mm -hmm. Or a change to a corridor that they take to drop their kids off at school every day. Like it is touching their lives on a daily basis and they have strong feelings about it. And it might be like evenly split and you can't, um, I have a colleague, I'll call him out because I really appreciate this. He's been on council for, I think 15 years at this point. He says, Erica, we do not have a luxury of maybe. (laughs) And in some cases, that is really true. And so I guess to be able to to get through that, I've had to find my, my way here. But um, sometimes we as council members are representatives and we have to truly represent our constituency. And sometimes we're trustees and we have to do what's what we think is the best thing for the neighborhood, the district, the city, even if we're not we're feeling what, like we're not being representative to a certain contingent or a certain group of people. Mm-hmm. And so distinguishing between, you know, um, the times that I need to be a representative and the times I need to be a trustee is something that I've found my way to over the last five years as council member. And that really helps as a framework. Mm-hmm. But um, it never makes it easier when you get yeah. the, the angry emails from people saying they're disappointed <laughs> in my decision. And, You know, again, if I can just be as um, another part of that is if I can be as um, open as possible and transparent as possible with the answer that I give them and not misleading them in the way that I feel um, justification for the way that I um, voted or the decision that I made and that in the process of doing so, I gave them a voice that they really did have the opportunity to have their voices heard then I can at least feel I can sleep at night knowing I did everything I possibly could to be you know, the, the best that they could. Yeah. And then I'm just wondering, because I hear you say there's a lot of online aspects of your job that can be quite challenging. Mm-hmm. Um, and again, this is another question about technology and creating those boundaries. H- how do you find that you create like an, an appropriate work-life balance mm, while maintaining question. that important social media presence that you need to have or that personal email Uh, you know, connection that you need with people. Yeah. Yeah. That's a big one because I think it's all about expectation setting. And if all of a sudden I'm answering emails every night at 11 PM, then people are going to expect that I will continue to answer emails at 11 PM. So the first lesson I learned was when I was on maternity leave, I took, there's no real rule for what you do. I think I was the first female to have a baby in office um, on city councils. There wasn't really a playbook here. 
So I said, well, I'll take three months. That's pretty typical in the United States. I'll take three months leave. And at first I thought, okay, I'll make it a graduated approach. You know, Mm -hmm. I'll see how it goes. But the first month I'll be completely off offline and just focusing on, I don't know, keeping my child alive and and trying to get some sleep. (laughs) In the second month, I'll start to communicate with my staff a bit more. And then the third month, I'll like start to communicate with the public a bit more. And what I found is that the best solution for me was to actually stay in contact with my staff the entire time, be on hand if they needed assistance answering the public, but not answering emails from the public because then my out of office message was worthless. And people would start to expect, oh, she's on leave, but she's not really on leave. Mm -hmm. And they would expect more and more and more. That was a great lesson to learn pretty early on in my tenure because I then knew you know what? People gave me grace. Like mm-hmm. my staff did a wonderful job. They stepped in and they were able to take it on. And I had the time that I needed with my baby and also like to just, you know, do what I needed to do as a new mother. So, um, so that was a great lesson that I try to apply to daily life. Now I need help all the time to set boundaries. And what I've t- decided to do is, you know, like after this, I'm going to go pick up my son from childcare and that will be our time together. And I won't take any calls unless it's an emergency. I'll probably check email a little bit after he goes to bed. If there's anything urgent, I'll answer it. But mostly, it'll wait until the next day. And that is okay. Yeah. And so to come to terms with the fact that, like, I can, you know, people can wait 24 hours for an answer. It's okay, right? Mm-hmm. Like, not, not, I don't have to be connected to the world all the time. Um, and... That is that has been a, a lesson and a practice I've had to learn. Um, I work with a therapist. I think that we're, that seeing a therapist and ex- accessing whatever it is that helps you be mentally fit and mentally strong is wonderful. And I, I wish we had more of the availability for more people. Yeah. And she's helped me with boundary setting, right? So it's just like again, surrounding yourself with the people who can help you have that balance. Because the other thing is this whole idea of a balance is not always you know, um, like a 50, 50 split every single day. It is uneven. There are some days where I feel like I am on top of the world at work and I'm a terrible parent or partner. Cause I like have to dig into work. There's sometimes where I'm like, I'm the best parent in the world and work is going by the wayside. So like, it's yeah. never even. And I also have to remember that over a long period of time is how it evens out a little bit. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That can relate a lot to (laughs) school, managing friends, a lot of things that our teens are going through. Um, It's a constant balance. Yeah, they feel a lot of pressure to answer those text messages right away, right? And (laughs) sometimes it can be okay to put the phone down and just, like, have family time or enjoy, like, whatever TV show you're watching. Like, it's okay. Yeah. 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 Especially before bed. I just, like, put my phone on airplane mode and then I just read a book. Yeah. And I just go to bed. This is actually perfect because we're about to ask. Oh, this is for yeah. Um, so we a lot of times we ask our guests like, what is a song or a book or an album or just like some kind of mechanism that you use to like help you de-stress or just to bring joy and incorporate into your lifestyle? Yeah. So um, I I like to run and I you know like I said if I um, I usually do it in the morning but if I don't sometimes if I'm really trying to mull something over. Or I'm feeling a little bit like I've pent up energy and I can do that. Like after work run, um, I feel like I come back from that. My endorphins mm-hmm. are high mm-hmm. and I don't even remember what was upsetting me in the first place. Yeah. So that's one. 
um, what I was thinking of, I mean, I love music, don't get me wrong. So like I can't even choose from among all the different types of genres and music that I listen to. I make, a, you know, I make a mix every single year for the calendar year before. <laughs> you can find it on Spotify. If people want to know, like yeah, contact me. Yeah. I'll, share, I'll share my and my, my yearly mixes. But I would say that one thing that I really gravitated to the last few years is a podcast called Unlocking Us. Um, I'm a very stereotypical um, older millennial female. I love Brene Brown. Uh-huh. <laughs> I'm very like, you know, stereotypical in that way. Um, and um, it's her first podcast and she's an emotions researcher. And so this podcast starts like March, 2020. It just happens to coincide with the pandemic. Wow. And so she brings these amazing guests on who talk about everything from social justice to arts, to emotions, research, to loneliness. That's why I learned about that book. Um, great listen. And it's, I think in it's third season. So that's something that I return to again and again. And I highly recommend it. We all love Brene Brown. She's great. <laughs> Good. So it's just, like, even if you're not a millennial. Cross, yeah, <laughs> like you're not a lady in your forties and you still love her. That's awesome. Yeah. Cutting, cutting across the generations. That's funny. Do you want to say yours or something? Oh, what is something that I do? Well, I read. I read before bed, which um, helps me kind of just like go into a different world or um, just get away from like whatever is on my mind beforehand. Um, I really like music. Um, I don't know exactly what album or song I listen to. Depends on my mood. Um, hobbies. I I just keep very busy, which both stresses me out sometimes but also like helps my stress because i feel like having a schedule and like knowing when and what to do at certain times like feeling just voids of time it's very satisfying to me i don't know why yeah and so i just it's like a healthy coping mechanism but at the same time it can also it can cause stress but it's it is a balance and i've it's something that like the more you do the more you get used to it like i'm finally managing my schedule better and i set times for different things but I really like it. I really like just keeping busy and just doing stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. Good answer. Should we go? We can go. Do you want to go first? <laughs> <laughs> so I always listen to everybody else and then I'm inspired. I'm like, oh, <laughs> like maybe I do that too. Or maybe I've thought yeah. about that. Um, so I, I don't want to not be relatable here if I say <laughs> what I'm going to say. So, um, you know, entering like the last stage of my pregnancy, being in like the third trimester, could it's, it's like a complex thing because it's very, it's stressful, but it's also in some way like very healthy. So I feel like I've been giving myself a lot of grace and, um, you know, coming from like an athletic kind of mindset in the movements that I'm choosing to do right now with my body. Mm-hmm. And in some ways it's like bringing me more joy than ever because I could wake up really early um, from having a bout of insomnia and I can do, I can do strength training and, or I could just do like, a goofy dancing power walk, like thing, whatever I want to do, concert dance moves, like, and I'm just finding that I'm having like a little bit more fun and Mm, I'm not expecting as much from myself right now. That's great. So it's kind of, it's neat. That's a good one. I hope it sticks. (laughs) Mine is kind of similar, even though I am not pregnant. (laughs) And I would say, so last night, this actually this past week to make it totally real for everybody here. If you're dealing with a stressful week, I feel you. I'm with you. It, it's been a week. <laughs> it's been a week. On yeah. Monday, I every person that I met on Monday, I was like, how's your week been? And then they're like, I lots literally Monday morning. <laughs> um, 
anyways, last night I was like, okay, I need to just do something about this stress. And I have a playlist of like Broadway musical soundtracks <laughs> and the greatest showman kept coming up. And I was just like, this is what I need right now. Mm-hmm. I need this like, and I was just dancing to it in my kitchen also kind of like concert moves, nothing fancy. <laughs> um, but it was super healing. And I wish that I gave myself more time to do stuff like that. Mm. Yeah. I also thought of another thing I do. Sorry. No, yeah, like please. Completely switch the subject. But I found that like, I started rewarding myself for the stuff. Like even if I'm having a hard day, I'll be like, I like did well today. Like I worked hard. I'm going to get myself like boba. Oh. Uh, or something like that just like small yeah. things will be like oh like i'm gonna take a break now like whatever like i i know that i haven't f- like done everything i want to do but it doesn't matter because i still did something mm-hmm. and so just like those awesome. small rewards like keep Trading me going yourself out yeah because yeah. i feel like a lot of people have like a negative um more negative emotions when they don't get everything done they're like oh i don't yeah. deserve it but it's like you you still did work hard and it's yeah. that's just how it's part of life so yeah, and just enjoy I like that a lot. Yeah. I, I should start implementing that in my life. Yeah. yeah. Celebrating the wins. Yeah, celebrating the wins. wins. Yeah. All right. Thank you for joining us. In today's episode, we talked about advocacy and communities and the balance between like uh, work life and um, family life and social life, um, which is really fun. So that was great. We hope that you all continue to tune in and listen to us while we discuss mental health and uh, resources on future episodes. Um, if you'd like to hear more stories in episodes like this, please subscribe, smash Ooh. the like button. Yes, smash the like button. <laughs> smash. Subscribe to our new YouTube channel. And subscribe to the new YouTube channel where we have visuals. Um, and subtitles. Yeah. Yes. And I just want to give a shout out to uh, Erica, Erica Strasberger, for being Ooh. here. Thank you. Thank you so Thank much you. for having me. Yeah, it's been you were such so a pleasure. Good. Yeah, I learned so much today. So did I. It's been such yeah. a cool experience. And you seem to too. really just be so in control of like your mental health and just aware which has been really, really refreshing. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. yeah. It's been very healthy. It's also cool <laughs> to hear that people within our local politics are aware, are aware yeah. and also are feeling mm-hmm. it with us. Yeah. Like we're all human at the yeah. end of the day and it's yeah. just refreshing to know and also to um, hear local politicians be open about their experiences yeah. too. It's gaining momentum in our community and that we're all recognizing it's important for our health. It's just, it's so refreshing and wonderful. So thank you. Yes, thank, thank you, you so, so much. much. My pleasure. Yeah. Signing, Signing off from, from Friends, Friends on Air. Air. Woo-hoo!